0: Awesome. Wonderful. Hello, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Shanna Baker. Uh, and I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to teach on not necessarily an easy topic, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to what God will teach us uh, this evening. Um, so let's open our Bibles uh, to Matthew 7, Matthew um, 7. Where our teaching is from tonight. Matthew 7 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck? in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the plank is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. God, I thank you for your word and the message that you have for us tonight. God, I pray that you speak in and through me and make our hearts and minds receptive to what you would want to say. God, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our passage tonight is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We're coming into the final chapter. And a lot of what's been leading up to this has dealt with how we are to engage with the world, with treasures, with uh, our anxieties related to material things. And then at this point, um, Jesus shifts to how we are meant to interact and engage with one another. So it starts in this uh, command, do not judge. So what what does it mean to judge? So that word there, judge, in the Greek is uh, "kreno," And "kreno" in Greek means to judge. So this is a fairly, fairly good translation if it says judge, but it's a little bit more than that. It's to discern between um, right and wrong, and the word appears a lot throughout the New Testament in how we are um, to discern and make judgments. But here in particular, Jesus is talking about um, telling us to not pass judgment, not to condemn or to judge in a wrong way. So some of the ways that we can judge um, wrongly include uh, judging presumptuously. Um, So judging based on unconfirmed rumors or uh, suspicions and taking those as facts. Um, We can judge wrongly by judging too quickly. We can uh, often make decisions without having all of the facts. And even further in this passage uh, he even comes out and says that you, you hypocrite, because we can judge hypocritically. We can condemn others and judge others even when we have faults of our own that we need to take care of. But it's a reciprocal kind of uh, passage here. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. Um, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure that you give, uh, you will be the measure that you get. So the reciprocal nature of this is so that um, we are not, again, acting hypocritically or doing things that um, we do not wish to have done back on us. In a similar way, this reflects on, sorry, this microphone keeps slipping. I think I got it tight. So this language is already similarly used. We already heard this language similarly in the Lord's Prayer where it says, forgive us as we forgive those who sinned against us. So this language of do unto others as you wish for them to do unto you. The measure that you give will be the measure that you get. So if we wish to receive... Um, that which we give, what is it that we should give? And I like the way that this is set up in a similar passage in Luke six thirty-six, um, in Luke six thirty-seven and thirty-eight and following. It's these same passages about do not judge, uh, so that you will not be judged. And it is prefaced in Luke six thirty-six with be merciful, just as your father is merciful. And then he moves into judgment. So what are we supposed to do then instead of judging? We are supposed to be merciful as our Father is merciful. But mercy for us, when we think about our culture, is something that often doesn't make sense. When I was thinking about you know, what, what is mercy? Our culture doesn't teach us that mercy is something that we should be doing. It just doesn't make sense. For example, what mercy is, mercy allows others to make a mistake and yet be entitled to your love. Mercy loves and treats another as a person of worth, even when he or she does unworthy things. Mercy chooses to see only good, even when there is little good to see. And mercy feels pain at the shame of another. Mercy in our culture doesn't make sense, but yet it's what we're called to do. And thinking about mercy, another one of Jesus' teachings and parables came to mind. In Matthew 18, um, Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. So for those of you um, who don't remember that parable, Jesus tells a story of a king who forgives one of his servants his debts. And then that servant is freed and goes and finds somebody that's indebted to him and condemns him and throws him in prison and doesn't show the same mercy that was given to him. And he is called out by the king saying, I showed you mercy, yet you did not show mercy. And Jesus uses this story to teach us that as we are shown mercy from God, our Father, we are supposed to show mercy to others. The same connection tying mercy to judgment is seen in James 2.13 that says, For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So while Jesus in this passage is calling us to not judge, in the same idea, he is also calling us, do not judge, but show mercy. Look at the people around you, and instead of judging them and condemning them, we are to show mercy. And the reason that this is important is he's making the shift as well from looking at the things of this world and how we interact with them to looking at his disciples and telling them how to treat one another because judgment and criticism divides the body of Christ. And as he's speaking to his disciples, yes, he is also, you know, telling us that whoever we judge, it will also be judged to us in the same way. But he is specifically in verses three and five, focusing in on our neighbor, our brother, our sister in Christ Because when he's specifically speaking about the speck and the plank, he says, why do you see the speck in your neighbor, your brother, your sister's eye, your fellow believer's eye? So what he's looking at here and what he's drawing our attention to and what's even more prevalent is the fact that this needed to be said in the first place. Jesus isn't going to give a command that doesn't have a precedent or a reason or a, a, a moment and way that people are living that doesn't need to be addressed. So they're currently judging one another and looking at one another as disciples. And Jesus is speaking into that context and saying, don't do that. Don't show or don't judge your fellow disciples brothers and sisters in Christ. But again, show mercy. We are called as the body of Christ to hold one another accountable. But unfortunately, when we're judging one another, we're not helping one another stay out of sin. We're judging people based on appearances. Our judgment of others is always wrong when we judge according to our own standards of behavior or on the basis of appearance or personality. When I was thinking about this passage, I was kind of thinking through it, and I was like, well, I don't think I'm that much of a judgmental person. I don't think that that's something that I do. Um, But I looked up online, because I thought it might be helpful, and I looked up ways people judge one another. Um, And it revealed to me all the ways that I do Judge, and maybe some of these will ring true for you. There's the typical ways that people judge. So when you think about someone who's really judgmental, they might be judging someone based on how much money they make, what kind of house they live in, where that house is located, um, the way they dress. Um, Some of the ones that kind of called me out a little bit, judging people, again, based on our own standards of behavior, for not putting a shopping cart back at the carts at H-E-B. Um, dog people judging cat people. Or judging someone for how they drive. You're going on the speed, uh, you're on the highway, and you're driving the speed limit, which probably others of us as well view that as a speed minimum, while others view that as a speed maximum. And we judge one another for that. Other things that we judge one another for, thinking about this group in particular being intergenerational, We judge for one another for the ways that we interact with technology. Older generations often judge younger generations for being on their phones too much, using social media too much. Younger generations often judge older generations for not knowing how to work technology, struggling, asking for help to use technology. And again, that doesn't apply to all of us, because I know there are older generations that are good with technology and younger generations who hate technology. But these are just the things and the ways that we judge someone. If none of those rang true for you, think about something recently that someone did that annoyed you, and you were probably judging them for it, whatever that thing was. But the other way that we judge one another, specifically in the church, is we judge our sins by comparing them to one another. So any kind of thought that's similar to, I struggle with this, but at least I don't struggle with that, like so-and-so, insert name there. When we say or think things like, I may struggle with gossiping, but at least I don't struggle with watching porn. I may struggle with lying, but at least I've never cheated on my spouse. The body of Christ is so quick to judge one another. And it causes disunity in the body. And while we think that comparing our sins and finding these sins in others may show that we're really good at discerning, unfortunately, just noticing something isn't where we stop. Our mind continues. But to criticize and find fault with someone is not a sign of spiritual maturity, but a sign of immaturity. And it reveals a lack of love. So how are we to be one another instead of judging? Well, as I mentioned before, mercy is what we're called to do. We're called to show mercy toward one another. We are called to show mercy in humility and with love. The verses following talking about judgment and not judging the prohibition. In verses three to five, they teach us to be humble by causing us to reflect on our own sin. Micah 6.8 tells us how we are to view mercy. It says we should love mercy, but it also says that we should walk humbly. Because when we walk humbly, it goes hand in hand with showing mercy. Because when we humble ourselves and remind ourselves of our own sin, we are more likely to show mercy to our brothers and sisters and their sins and their shortcomings. When we are engaging with one another and sharing our weaknesses and our sins It's difficult, but as disciples, in our minds, instead of criticizing or judging them for whatever those shortcomings are or whatever they're struggling with, what we are called to do is show mercy and to intercede for one another. When we choose to pray rather than to criticize, the result of that is seeing the church become whole and being the light to this world that she's destined to be. Praying for one another and prayer in general is what unites the body of Christ. And the strength of prayer is reflected and found and even uh, affirmed because Satan hates when the body of Christ is united. The greatest threat to Satan's domain is the unity of the body of Christ Because unity does not just increase our spiritual authority, it multiplies it. So when we are unified, the body of Christ is stronger and more powerful and active in our world. As I was thinking about how much Satan hates that we are unified and how much he'll act against it, a song came to mind, um, and uh, some of you might not know it, but it's a song called Cycles, by an artist, a gospel artist, called Jonathan McReynolds. And he's talking specifically about personal struggles. He, in the verses of the song, talks about, you know, didn't I already conquer this sin? Didn't I already get past this? Um, But then when it gets to the chorus, he says this phrase, and I think it's just as true for the body of Christ. The song says, See, the devil, he learns from your mistakes, even if you don't. And I think that's so true for the body of Christ. When we don't learn how damaging it is when we criticize one another and don't pray for one another and don't act as a unified body, the devil learns what worked. And if we don't pay attention to the ways that that is damaging our relationships with one another, he's going to keep using the same method and trying different things. Satan doesn't look at what God is doing in his church and go, all right, God, you win. You're too powerful this time. He doesn't give up, and he won't give up until Christ comes back and sets everything right. So it's important for us to keep watch, pray for one another, be a unified body. One of the other ways that we are intended to uh, be with one another and act towards one another, again, if we're not judging, we are walking in humility with mercy, but we are also called to love. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 13, 8 through 10. In Romans 13, 8 through 10... It says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are all summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law the law finds its fulfillment in love not in judgment it's interesting to note that much of our judgment of others concerns the great areas of life as i mentioned moments ago we often do not actually judge sin we're judging people's personalities cultural, traditional, or generational differences. We're not actually looking at or thinking about the ways that we can encourage one another to become more like Christ. We're comparing the way that we live and our standards to the way that we see other people living and not basing our standards on what the word of God says. And the way that we choose to live based on what the word says and what Jesus' commandment to us, you know, the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That is how people will know that we are Christians and the united body of Christ, is through love. John 13, 34 and 35 is where Jesus says this again. I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Why? Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. He does not say that other people will know you based on how you judge them based on how you point out flaws, shortcomings. He says that the world will look and see and know that we are Christians based on the way that we love one another. Again, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a music person, so we're getting a lot of song lyrics tonight. But as I was reading this passage and thinking about the way that love ends up being our testimony as a church to the world... Another song came to mind. It's a song written in the 1960s. So maybe some of us uh, will know it. It's a little bit older. But it combines this idea of unity and love. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll read the lyrics. The verse starts off with We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity will one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. The way that we as a church share our testimony by being and living as disciples is by the way that we love one another. We are part of one another as the body of Christ, and we need to lovingly care for each other. We can exhort and encourage one another to be faithful to the Lord, but we are never, ever, given permission to condemn or slander each other. All those actions do is sow discord in the Lord's family. All that does is separate what God intends to be unified condemning other believers' wounds and scars the body of Christ and destroys its testimony to the seen and unseen worlds. Both worlds, seen and unseen, look to believers to represent God. Every time we accuse another, we are putting into motion a death process that affects the Lord's body, the testimony of the church and ourselves personally. It's not just something that we should take lightly. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't condemn other people. But we don't often realize how often we judge and how often we are criticizing people in our minds, even if we don't vocalize it. And the reason why this testimony is so important is because people are watching. People are paying attention to what Christians look like. As I was thinking about this passage, it reminded me of an encounter I had um, when I was uh, working uh, at a Barnes & Noble. I had a job, it was my, it's actually still my only job outside of some kind of Christian environment, be that a church or a Christian university, Baylor. And I was working at this store, hopefully we all know what Barnes & Noble is, it's a bookstore. And I was talking with some coworkers. It was a light day. And one of my coworkers comes over, making small talk, and he goes, did y'all know the Bible's the most stolen book ever? And I was like, huh, I didn't know that. And then I made some comment like, well, I bet once they read it, they're uh, not going to steal again. They'll become Christians, something like that. You know, they won't steal anymore. And there was another coworker standing there that kind of (laughs) went, doubt it. And I went, well, what do you mean? Again, Barnes and Noble, not a Christian environment. And he goes, I've never met a Christian who was good. He said, I used to be in the church, I used to be really involved in the church. And then what I noticed was the church was full of hypocrites. And he left. And now that's his only view of the church. A bunch of hypocrites and bad people. People are paying attention to the way the church behaves. And the way that we act towards one another, obviously God and the Holy Spirit are working inside people. But it may turn people away from the church more than draw them in. If they see believers judging one another, condemning one another, criticizing one another, instead of showing love, I wouldn't want to be a part of that either. But if they saw people loving one another, showing mercy when you mess up, that's something that would draw me in, at least out of curiosity. Because again, mercy isn't natural to our culture. It's not natural to show mercy. So it's what sets us apart from the way the rest of our culture is. The ending of this passage moves into focusing on uh, hypocrisy. So not just don't judge, but don't be hypocritical. Jesus uses the word hypocrites only two other times in the Sermon on the Mount. He uses it once when he's talking about prayer, calling the hypocrites the ones who pray so that they have everyone's attention on them, and then he uses hypocrites again when he's talking about the ones who fast, again, to have everyone's attention on them. Here, he's calling out disciples for being hypocrites, not just the people who are out there trying to look religious trying to do the things so everybody sees them, he's looking into his group of disciples and calling them hypocrites, calling us as the body of Christ if we are doing these things and trying to help someone else with their sin while we have our own sin that's undealt with, hypocrites. In Romans 2, 1 through 4, It emphasizes the way that we cannot escape judgment if we are the ones who are also judging ourselves and judging one another. Romans 2, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you choosing to act as the judge, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think, any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness restraint and patience not recognizing that god's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance because your hardened and unrepentant heart you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when god's righteous judgment is revealed he will repay each one according to his works we are not meant to be the judge We are called in the Bible to be like God, to try and be more like God, but we are not to be God. He is the ultimate judge. And in our passage for today in Matthew 7-2, we're reminded, again, we're not the judge, but the more strictly we judge others, the more strictly God will judge us. So what are we to do with our own sin? We'll talk more about this next week, but something that kind of kept coming to me as I was preparing for this week was the difference between a speck and a plank. And now Jesus is speaking in hyperbole and is being hyperbolic, but a speck it's kind of irritating, right? You kind of notice it. If you've got something in your eye, you kind of notice it. But the fact that somebody with a plank in their eye is looking at someone with a speck and saying, hey, let me help you while they can't see, made me think about how long has that plank been there that they don't even realize it's there? How long has that plank been blinding that person or you that you don't even notice that you are being hypocritical. But the true judge is the only one that's ever walked this earth without anything in his eyes. The one with clear eyes is the one who said, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Not a single one of us could do that. We would all walk away like they do in John 8. The true judge is the one who can see clearly to judge fairly. And that judgment is talked about often in the Bible. So to close, with 1 Corinthians 4:5, encouraging us to let judgment be the Lord's. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, the true judge, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one, every one of us, will receive commendation from God. So as we close and we think about leaving judgment to God and letting it be God's judgment, not our judgment, not being hypocritical and trying to help one another with their sins while we have our own sin to deal with, who in your life have you judged unfairly? Who has God brought to mind as we talked about all these different ways that we've judged one another Who is that person for you? Or even who is that group of people for you? So to close, I want us to spend a few minutes just in prayer asking God for forgiveness for the ways that we have judged other people. Again, if any specific person has come to mind, asking specific forgiveness for the ways that you have judged So let's take a few moments to come before our God, confessing the ways that we have judged and have not done as is commanded in God's word today. Let's pray. Think God. We confess that we fall short. God, we don't live like your word tells us to. God, we don't show mercy the way that you have shown mercy to us. God, we ask forgiveness for all the times that we have judged, criticized, condemned our fellow brothers and sisters and not, have, and not acted as a unified body. God, we thank you that even as we fall short, God, you don't leave us in our sin, but you have forgiven us and yet still call us to become more like you. God, help us to become more like you. Holy Spirit, move in and through us and convict us when we aren't aware of the sin that we are stumbling through and yet trying to help other people overcome. God, I pray that tonight in our groups that we would have time to share and learn from one another about how to be more like you, how to live and show mercy the way that you do. God, help us to be humble. God, help us to live as the unified body. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.